This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. Gentlemen, this introduction is going to go long, far beyond the intro music. I know because I timed it. But I would like to read to you and our listener an excerpt from a book that I own called Uncle John's Slightly Irregular Bathroom Reader. You guys remember the bathroom? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Specifically from a section of the book called Not Coming to a Theater Near You, where it presents the movie ideas that quote will probably never make it to the big screen. <laughs> Keep in mind. This book was published in 2004. Mm-hmm. After Titanic made $1 billion and won 11 Academy Awards, director James Cameron could make any movie he wanted. And this was the one he wanted to make. Set in the year 2040, Avatar follows a paralyzed war veteran named Josh on a mining expedition to the distant planet of Pandora, where, through a computerized psychic link, he inhabits the body of a purple-skinned, nine-foot-tall, ammonia-breathing Pandoran. Cameron wanted to use the cast of ultra-lifelike computer-animated characters, plus most of the special effects needed to render Pandora would have to be invented. Avatar's budget? A staggering $400 million. (laughs) No studio would fund it, so the movie was scrapped. Good thing. I'm glad no one saw that movie. No one should. Currently the highest grossing movie of all time. (laughs) Uh, By the way, uh, just to recap, this came out in 2004. I love these bathroom readers. Avatar came out in 2009, and the actual budget was $237 million. Oh, wow. That's cheap by today's standards. Yeah, because the technology was actually there. I remember, and the reason I bring this up, I know it was a very long intro, and I apologize. I just wanted to get that factoid in there somewhere, and this is the only place it really fit was I was reading this book, and I remember reading that being like, ha, 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 that will never be made. What a made. silly idea. And then all of a sudden, it came out, and yeah. now it's huge. And every time I read that passage now, I'm just like, oh, yeah, we could be in the same boat someday with the, with the show today. Oh, I hope so. Mm-hmm. That was the point I was going to make. Yep. Welcome to Big Cell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And I'm Zach. And our intros aren't normally that long. Uh, they've been pretty long lately. But thank you for listening to our last show, our finals of the 70s rock tournament. <laughs> Guys, I think we might have done it. I think we might have not made everyone mad with our final choice. Wait, it's did a, we please everyone with n- the final four? Not entirely, we always, no. We always do. People usually accept our results yeah, exactly. without any sort of thing. Yeah, but no. what I found interesting was that everyone said, everything you did was wrong, but you did it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Spragito says, let me tell you something about this show. It was the bee's knees, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, so, I mean, that's all that's, of a sudden he's 87 years old. That's all you really need. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Uh, Tim Behunen on Facebook says, never had I had so much anxiety listening to your show. I think you guys were spot on with the bracket, except the final band. Hmm. Having said that, Kent has been demoted from favorite host, <laughs> and Joel has been promoted as he was the only one to pick correctly on the final two. Huzzah! But really, I love you guys all equally. Thanks for another amazing show. Thank you, Tim. You know, Thank you, Tim. Usually when I edit the show, and there's we went on so long for those last couple bands. We did. We Hampton and Hod. I usually try to slim that down, but there was so much stress in those 15, 20 minutes. I kept it all in there because I wanted the listener to stress just as much as we did. It was a stressful thing. Yeah. There was also some fun moments, though. We've got to admit them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, on Instagram, NP.Turner says, I want to take you by surprise and kiss you on the eyes, Amanta. <laughs> <laughs> I want a piece of David. <laughs> My new favorite misheard lyrics, died laughing. Oh, man. <laughs> I kisses are the best. And then I also got a shout out. My mom texted me and said she liked my intro. So that's good. Oh, nice. you're, just, you're just, just reading texts from your mom now? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I got, I, I, every week. Say, I got a text from my brother, uh, who was one of the people I was actually concerned about disappointing. From Spencer. And he said, I'm proud. The 70s bracket turned out right. Oh, okay. all right. Thanks, Spence. Yeah. I have not heard back from my dad yet. I don't know if he's talking to me, but we will find <laughs> out. I will um, keep you updated. It's been years. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? Today, we're talking about movies that uh, were supposed to come out, but for whatever reason, didn't. 
Move, yeah, this is a weird topic because we're talking about things that don't fully exist. Yeah. No. They may have started to exist. Maybe there are various levels of production. But at the end of the day, we're going to talk about movies that you can't watch. I loved going through this list because these are movies that I feel would be part of the pop culture conversation. Yes. Definitely mention on Bacon Cell and or seen it. <laughs> and these, these that's are the scale. Yeah, that's the scale. Still gonna have yeah. seen it tournament. Uh, yes. The pop culture world series. It would have been mentioned on there. These are movies that are would have been big deals, but maybe people don't know about because they were stuck in development for over a decade, mm-hmm. couldn't get financed. We're going to talk about the reasons. But I kind of love that even these movies were conceived in the first place because some yeah. are weird. Well, and this isn't just like scripts that got kicked around and never got because that made. always happens. Yeah, that happens all the time. People people have scripts optioned that never get picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, option meaning that the studio will buy the rights to them for a certain amount of time and to for example, have the option like to use them. Brandon Mull, who we had on season one, yes, he optioned Fablehaven, mm-hmm. and it's been kicking around forever, and he just doesn't know, but he'll get paid for it. Yeah, he doesn't the, know if they, it'll be they made. pay you to say we want we want to reserve this. So basically, yes. saying save the date, kind of a thing, but it's save the movie. It's like we we don't know if we're going to make this one, but we want to make sure no one else does. Exactly. Yes. So. And these are movies that have significant money and or time invested in them, where like things were happening and then they got canceled. So Kent and I found five each. Yeah, five each. That we're going to talk about today. We're going to go back and forth. But we intentionally kept Zach in the dark because we want him to be the you in the room, the you, everyman. You guys really need to let me out of the cave sometimes. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> oh, it's so dark. Uh, but Zach is going to help us uh, green light or not green light these, these ideas once we present them to Do him. Do I get to play movie producer? You're going to be a movie producer. Yeah, give us the financing if necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're going to find out why some of these movies could not be financed. And we're going to talk time. about and this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll present these and we're going to talk about whether they could still be made or whether it's just a lost cause. Yeah. Financing movies is tight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> so okay. I want to go first because it feels more relevant to what's been happening this past week. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about a movie that should have come out in 2009 has a very familiar title. It's called Justice League. That did. OK. Yes, it did come out twice now. Yes. This one is called Justice League colon mortal, not Justice League's mortal colon. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> family oh, friendly? Is, is that okay? That was a dad joke. Can I family friendly a dad <laughs> you joke? You love dad jokes. I know. <laughs> Can I get an approval on that? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> oh, my mortal colon. <laughs> so officially, this is George Miller's Justice League mortal. George Miller from director of Babe. No, and Babe that. Pig in the City. <laughs> no, even the ones he's known Mad Max? for, the Mad, Mad Max, Max series. Yes. Yeah, so really, and yeah, Happy Mad Max Feet. Fury Road, Happy oh. Feet Two. Yeah, Happy Feet One and Two. Oh come on! I know, and I'm so sorry. So this one is so interesting because, as we know, Warner Brothers and DC Films has no idea what they're doing with their properties. Mm-mm. And I mean, they had a pretty good head on their shoulders. Like they were making the Batman series in the late 80s and then 90s. And then they saw the success of like Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and X-Men. And they're like, we need to get back into that. And so they make Batman Begins. They make Superman Returns. Batman Begins continues to go into a series. Superman Returns doesn't. And so uh, Warner Brothers says, okay, that's fine. Even though Christopher Nolan's Batman series is happening, we're going to make Justice League. But you know what? Christian Bell's not going to be in this movie. 
we're going to bring in an entirely new cast, even a new Batman, which is kind of what they're doing right now. I want to say this, too. This has happened. Uh, so uh, Batman Begins came out in 2005 oh, and then Dark Knight 2005. 2008. So this is just be- this is between uh, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Yes. OK. And uh, in like I Am Legend, there's a little Easter egg where you see like the the Dark Knight Batman logo with the Superman Return Superman yeah, logo. Right. They were going to make a Batman and Superman movie. Right. Which it was in someone's brain at W WB. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this was kind of just going to introduce it without any background. And if this sounds familiar, this was the plan all along. So they cast this movie. The, uh, George Miller is they like, cast it. Yeah, they cast fully cast this movie. Oh, to, I want to to the point where kind of like with every superhero movie now, they're like, hey, go work out for six months. We'll pay you to get really ripped, and then we'll do some costume fittings, and then we'll just start filming. And so they basically got to day one of filming and said, we just can't do this. We're not going to make the movie. And there are several reasons. So the cast is Flash. Barry Allen was going to be the POV character. It was kind of his movie. The POV character meaning like the one you follow. Yes. And so that was Adam Brody, who eventually ended up in Shazam, which is kind of fun. And I think Adam Brody's great. He would have been amazing. You just like him because he was in... The OC. He's Seth Cohen. He's the best. Batman was going to be played by Army Hammer. (laughs) Whoa, really? Yeah. Actual cannibal Army Hammer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> truth like now you look back and you're like oh army hammer he's good he he has a nice jaw oh uh, i remember he was up uh he was like rumored before ben affleck was cast yes to well, be yeah, it was because like this. a super the guy looks like a super because one, once again remember this is 2007 2008 yeah and so it is this time superman played by a guy named dj katrona who eventually mm-hmm. went on to wicked wicked dj katrona gi <laughs> joe uh right or retaliation or whatever oh, backwards. yeah a little bit wonder woman played by megan gale in ozzy don't it's very pretty nope and then we have people you may know green lantern so the john store green lantern was played by common uh maxwell, common the rapper yes okay maxwell oh. lord who is played now by pedro pascal in wonder woman 84 played by jay baroshell oh oh okay the, the scrawny guy yep from How hey to Train guys. Your Dragon. Yes. Hey. And she's out of your league. And then Talia Agul, Teresa Palmer. I know her. Okay. Yeah. And then Wally West was played by Anton Yelchin. Oh, oh. So awesome. We have this huge cast. But I think with these superhero movies, you never get like the huge names because they want them to be seen as the character. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you put Tom Cruise as Superman. They're like, oh, it's Tom Cruise in a cape. Yeah. Distracting. Yeah. And that's the thing. Maybe they didn't want to overshadow what Nolan was doing with Christian Bell because I actually don't think Warner Brothers knew what they had in Christopher Nolan. That he was because at this point when <laughs> they were, would say that. But this is like I mean, <laughs> of course Dark Knight came out in two thousand eight. Well, so this started production two thousand seven. Yes. So Batman Begins was was successful, but yes. not a mega hit yeah. like Dark Knight was. Exactly. And they were going to launch this a year after Dark Knight came out, hoping that the audiences would, kind of like with Joker, just be like, hey, it's a separate universe. Just go with it if you could. Mm. But you almost can't do that when you have a trilogy like the Dark Knight trilogy. But at the same, at the same time, time, the Avengers thing hadn't happened yet. No. Audiences weren't trained for the cinematic universe thing. Right. And this was meant to create its own cinematic universe. So let me get into the story. And for comic fans, it may sound familiar, but tell me if you guys think this actually sounds like a good story okay. for a movie, not just like Justice League cartoon, because I feel like it's a good Justice League cartoon. Starts with a funeral. The whole Justice League is there. And all of a sudden they're like, let's jump back two days. Right. So one of the heroes. You're probably died. wondering who I got. Here. Exactly. Right. It sets up this world and the, the Justice League is in a good place. They're all united. Batman has stopped crime in Gotham pretty much. Wonder Woman is a UN ambassador for peace. Like everything's like hunky dory. Okay. All of a sudden, each of the League members start getting attacked one by one based on their weaknesses. 
And we've seen this before in Justice League Doom and whatnot. This sounds like almost like a the cartoon Justice League. Exactly. The, the reason they're being attacked this way and very well is because Talia al Ghul, who once dated Batman, stole his files that he has on the entire Justice League. And because he has all their weaknesses logged Batman. as well. I know. Come apparently, on, Batman. Uh, apparently, like his software is in, yeah, it's not very protected. Yeah. He has to have a weakness too, Kent. His <laughs> really? weakness is cybersecurity. Cy- no, <laughs> cybersecurity. His weakness exactly. is women. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know my secret identity? <laughs> his, his weakness isn't women. <laughs> That's accurate. And so she gives all this information to Maxwell Lord, J. Baruchel, and he is psychic in the story because he was tortured as a kid. And so he wants That's to... That's how it works? Yeah. He, <laughs> he wants to destroy the world. Yada, yada, yada. He mind controls Superman. Superman fights the League. Wonder Woman brings Superman back. And then Maxwell Lord, at the end of the movie, I'm going to spoil a movie that's never been made. Yeah, can we do that? Yes. Five, six, what's seven, our, what's, eight. What's our ruling on that, by the way? There's it no will ruling. never be made. If movies that are never made, how do we spoil them? Yeah, I'm going to do it. So like he, the Snyder Cut? He's about to be defeated, but he has a doomsday device in him, which is basically just a giant world-ending bomb. Maxwell Lord does. And so the Flash runs him into the Speed Force. They both disappear and die and then it jumps back to the funeral, which is Barry Allen's funeral. Oh, wow. And the oh. Justice League gets a new flash with Wally West. And that is how the movie ends. And that was meant to kickstart this universe. So let me tell you where the movie was and why, like how close it was. Like Weta Workshop, who's done Lord of the Rings. Amazing. They, they already created the props and the sets. So they were there. Costumes were made. Warner Brothers approved the script. They were all ready to film. But there were three reasons it wasn't made. The first one. $300 million budget. Yeah, budget. $300 million. That seems like nothing these days. You're right. But this isn't a guarantee at this time. Right, right. Because Dark Knight was not a guarantee. No. And so at the same time, the writer's strike happened. Also, they were going to film in Australia for the tax break, but the Aussies were like, hey, you don't have enough Australians in your movie. We won't give you the tax breaks unless you hire more Australians. I don't think you said, hey, hey, I think you yeah. said, oi, 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 ta. And then third, Dark Knight released. And they're like, oh, people really like that. We don't want another Batman. Right. And that's, they just said, we got to stop this. It's going to cost way too much money. George Miller said, fine, I can walk away. I'm not personally invested. I didn't write the script. And the movie never happened. Even though all the cast has been in their costumes. They were eating like, they were eating skinless chicken breasts and steamed broccoli and working out every day. Wouldn't (laughs) you like WB to just pay you to get fit and then like not make the movie? Oh, all day. (laughs) But then I have to work out. So that is the background. That is the story for Justice League Mortal. Do you okay. guys have any questions? No, I mean, it's again, do you think it would have worked when you think about the time frame? Out. Yeah, I do. Because I don't think we ne- we knew what the formula was. Unfortunately, for better or worse, Marvel set the formula for what these like type of movies would be. Mm-hmm. If we just out of nowhere at any point before 2012 got a movie with a bunch of heroes in it. We all Even if it's like Martian Manhunter and Aquaman at that We point. all would have gone to see it. Okay. We all would have probably thought it was at least okay. Um, and it would have made a bunch of money for him. But here's the problem. It can't be made because the timeline has now been altered and Justice League has been created multiple times. Yes. So unless we're, I don't know, 20 years down the road, 10 years down the road, it's not going to happen. And George Miller's definitely not going to be doing it. No. I think this one's DOA. It's totally DOA. Yeah. But Zach, do you think it could be made? could be made it's your decision should have been made then maybe i also feel like fans especially because social media is a thing now i feel like fans are so devout to casting and like for example with henry cavill's casting up in the air fans are really upset me included and so you can't be like hey here's dj katrona gonna take on the role again or but people get one over 
they do. So it's like all of a sudden you get Robert Pattinson. They're like, oh, yeah, make it. Oh, he's going to be the worst. But wow, the he actually looks really good. I wish studios had more nerves of steel. Sure. Because you get the blowback of like, why are you casting this person? That'd be terrible. If they would have listened back in the days to like Michael Keaton or mm-hmm. even Heath Ledger. Michael yes. Keaton, Heath Ledger. Ben they might have recast them. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that worked. It really did. So I would have loved to see a George Miller superhero movie. I don't care who. Because he has... He's inconsistent, though. I mean, I love Fury Road. He has, even though, yeah, you could say Happy Feet, right? It's an animated movie, but he has infinity for practical effects. Mm -hmm. Look at Fury Road. Even with all of the special effects at his disposal, he still has this grounded, realistic stunt movie that's just helped by special effects. If we had that in the superhero world, I would fix some of the problems that we have in the modern superhero movie. But wasn't this around around the area who was doing Happy Feet? I mean, I, he wouldn't have done it like that. I can't imagine. He but. would have. It would have had talking penguins doing Elvis impersonations. As we've learned, <laughs> you know, Justice League, not always a great idea. So unfortunately, not. All right. Kent, you went with the superhero twist yeah. on your first one. I am also going to go with the superhero twist. Let's hear it. I'm going to talk about one of the most famous movies never made. Yeah. Do it. Superman Lives. Yes. yes. So Superman Lives, if you don't know what that is, the year was 1980. Well, it was 87. Superman 4, Quest for Peace came out and basically killed the superhero <laughs> genre. I thought that was number three. I thought that one killed the Superman franchise. No, three was still creepy. Four was just bad. You mean so with bad. the bumbling drunk Superman and Richard Pryor it, as a villain? Four probably started my fear. Save it for our Superman movie show. <laughs> of fingernails and toenails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nuclear man scratch. Nuclear man. <laughs> anyway, so then Quest for Peace came out mm-hmm. and the world kind of turned their back on yeah, Superman. We didn't care. So then there was an intended reboot of the Superman film series because in 1992, The Death of Superman came out. Mm-hmm. It's and huge. The Death of Superman was one of those comic books that made it made headlines because they killed off Superman. And it was a huge thing. And all of a sudden, studios went, oh, well, 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 let's let's try this. Let's, let's adapt this. That'll be great. It's so 90s. So they you kill it, off your characters. So cool. So this producer, John Peters. Bought the rights to Superman in 1990. John Peters. And if you don't know who John Peters is, let me just tell you, he was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. And they dated briefly. And he also produced films such as Caddyshack, American Wolf in London, Clue, The Color Purple, oh. Interspace, Rain Man, Batman, and Batman Returns. Okay. But it's this guy... prestige there. But no, really, the hairdresser thing's not a joke. No, that's true. He started out as a hairdresser <laughs> and then became this very powerful producer. And we could do a whole show on this guy alone. He is bizarre but he bought the rights to superman and then he said you know what i want to make a superman movie and so he hired kevin smith of clerks fame yep to write the script and he said i want three things number one superman doesn't fly number two Hmm. he never wears that red and blue uh, outfit that he always wears i'm doing the accent now yeah and number three I want him to fight a giant spider in the third act. <laughs> yeah. That was his parameters for Wait, Kevin Smith. He produced Batman, you just said. Yes. So there's some understanding of how comic books are on the page. Because but he, he wanted had, to canonically he change the character. If, if you don't know what a producer is, they're basically kind of... Financier. Yeah, they're, they're the money behind it, but they also are kind of like the manager. Yeah. You like, have to like go the boss. beg them and say, here's what we're doing with the script. That's not true. The director is like the manager. They're like the boss who kind of gets after the manager. Like, you got to run it this way. Yeah, you're spending too much money. Yeah. So he kind of gets after him that. So this guy, though, he is, he's bizarre. And he decided, like, as they're writing the script, he had all these uh, changes. Like, he wanted there to be a space dog similar to Chewbacca because Star Wars had just not been re-released. Crypto, because no. Crypto exists. He wanted a Chewbacca-like sidekick <laughs> that Brainiac could present to Lex Luthor just so they could have merchandising rights for this space dog. 
He is, also, it, is it Luther or Luthor? Luth, I say Luther. I say Lex Luther. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I say not Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so kind of liked him. Smith was forced to write a scene where Brainiac would fight polar bears at the Fortress of Solitude. I mean, they got to be there. I get it. He's like a robot overlord, though. Why would he be fighting polar bears? Doesn't matter. Also, put a giant spider in, like I said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way. <laughs> He didn't. He didn't get the giant spiders in this movie, obviously. But, but he did get it. He did end up producing Wild Wild West, yeah. which featured in the third act a giant mechanical <laughs> spider. So I remember when this movie was announced, and they talked about the casting, which you're about to bring up, and yes. I was like, "Hey, that seems strange." But I feel like he's such a good actor. He won an Academy Award the other year. I feel like he could pull it off. Right. Which well, is, and I'll get to that one second okay. because Kevin Smith, after talking to John Peters, the producer. John, uh, Kevin Smith's like, hey, well, you know who you should get to direct this? Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton, who did, you know, Batman and Guaranteed Batman Returns. Success. He's yeah. doing great at this time. And Tim Burton came on and said, this script is crap. Kevin Smith, you're gone. Oh. And so he kicked Burton. Burton got rid of Kevin Smith? Kevin brought on, basically, Kevin recommend Kevin Smith, Kevin, like he's my buddy. Yeah. Kevin Smith recommended Tim Burton, and then Tim Burton got rid of Kevin Smith. Huh. Kind of weird how that worked out. And Tim Burton said, this is, you know, I want to I rewrite this. So he started doing rewrites. And he started casting, which we're going to bring that now. Nicholas Cage yeah. as Clark Kent slash Superman. If you do not believe me, you can actually look up footage of Nicholas Cage doing a fitting with Tim Burton of Superman costumes in a glowy suit. They with, got like with long they got hair. hair going on. They got like different outfits they're putting on. They're talking about the character and how like Clark Kent wore like a Mickey Mouse T-shirt and like a suit coat because he's kind of weird. It's uh. it's bizarre to watch. It's like a four minute clip. Also, they talked about whether Courtney Cox or Sandra Bullock should be Lois Lane. Chris Rock was cast as Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> and once again, this was one of those bizarre ones where they... So the script kind of went like this. Uh, I talked about the things that he was requiring, but this mm-hmm. is the basic premise of it. So Brainiac sends Doomsday to kill Superman. Brainiac blocks out the sun in order to make Superman less powerful. Smart. Superman is fueled by the yeah. sun. While you're fighting polar bears, block out the sun. Sure. Exactly. Just like Nuclear Man and Superman for the quest <laughs> yeah. for peace. And then Doomsday kills Superman. Brainiac teams up with Lex Luthor. In, in the beginning of the movie? Yes. Wow. So they're going to kill him off. And then the Eradicator, which if you don't know comics, if you don't know deep dive comics, dive. you don't know who the Eradicator is. I had to look it up. I had no idea. You think he's Superman. He wears sunglasses. He's a Kryptonian robot who's sent to preserve Kryptonian life. Mm -hmm. So he encases Superman in this capsule for most of the movie, from what I understand, from what I'm reading here. And then he puts like, you know, cosmic rays in there to help kind of bring Superman back to life. Spoiler alert. (laughs) For a movie that doesn't... Brainiac and Lex Luthor end up merging together into Lexiac... I feel like a schizo scary <laughs> mega villain. I feel like that's a stomach problem. And this is at this point, this is Wesley Strick who's doing the, the rewriting the script at this okay. point. Uh, oh, and Tim Burton, uh, he gave a concept drawing for Brainiac, which was quote a cone with a round ball on top and something that looked like an emaciated skull inside. Imagine you take Merlin's hat and you stick a fish bowl on top with a skull in it. But there's quote. already a design for Brainiac. He's an established character. It's Tim Burton, and he's going to do Mars attacks. Okay. That's what it sounds like mm-hmm. to me. But then Superman is resurrected by the power of K, the letter K, which is a natural like special force. K with red berries. Is that what we're talking about? Yum. It's super good. Literally the force. Like they're ripping off the force at this point. It's like midichlorians almost. But it just becomes this point where he becomes then resurrected. Superman saves the day. Huzzah. But then Warner Brothers said, yeah, that script's too ex- expensive. 
let's kick Wesley Strick out and get Dan Gilroy to write another draft that's much cheaper. So they dumbed it down a little further, and it was intended for a release date of summer of 1998. Wow. But... At this point, as it kept going and going and going, they decided to put the film on hold because they just were not getting it worked out, and then Burton left to direct Sleepy Hollow. They'd spent $30 million developing the film so far. They'd constructed part of the Kryptonian set. They had the costume fitting, like I said, but it just it wasn't working. And I think it's because they kept doing all these rewrites. They kept switching like who was involved. Yeah, It just was not working. Uh, Tim Burton said... I basically wasted a year. A year is a long time to be working with someone that you don't really want to be working with. Meaning, John Peters. Oh, okay. John Peters ended up producing Superman Returns and executive producing Man of Steel. He says he took, he took home between $80 million to $85 million between those two movies for doing nothing other than owning the rights to Superman oh. in the 90s. Oh my gosh, this Raking guy's cr- in criminal. In fact... Uh, Peters was banned from the Man of Steel set by producer Christopher Nolan. Because he might try to make a decision. Because they it's hated giant spiders. each other. He was a horrible person. But he just gets instant Christopher cash. Nolan. Yeah. And so Holy he cow. gets money. He got, he got you know $85 million for doing nothing. And that is so ridiculous to me. How do you think Cage's Clark Kent and or Superman would have been like? Like, do you think, uh, obviously he's very memefied at this point. Yeah. And he's like bombastic he's become a different character like you remember in 94 was about like him at the time leaving las vegas right he won an academy award he was a very muted character yeah. he played comedic roles obviously as we know i wonder if in the late 90s when was like, when was the rock so if, uh it would be face off in the rock time Th- yeah. that's yeah. right when he was he's becoming huge. nick cage at that point do yeah. you do we think he would have just been like brash and really like cocky as superman I think he would have done the whole, oh, I'm Superman type voice. And then when he's Clark Kent, he would have done like the Nicolas Cage little kind of. That would have worked guy. okay. I feel like his Clark Kent would have worked okay. No, his Superman would have been um, when he's uh, in National Treasure and talking like with reverence about the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. That's how he Which would works be for a me. Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been fine. But Zach, are you going to green light a, a Nicolas Cage driven Superman? The movie? meme in me wants to say yes, right? Like that. that it sounds like there would be a Superman who doesn't Gif fly, City, doesn't wear know. his outfit, and fights a giant spider. You know, I, I, honestly, just the pictures alone make me happy. So they're either finished. I think they're finished on a documentary. I feel like it's out. The yeah, death it's out. of it Superman came out in lives. 2015. Okay. Uh, the death of Superman lives. Quote colon What happened? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it came out. You can watch the whole story. You can get a bunch of behind the scenes stuff online too. There's tons of YouTube videos about this. I think we're at a point in comic book movies. Where, I mean, even in Teen Titans Go, Nicolas Cage portrayed Superman with the voice. Yeah. Which is like a nice little reference. Yeah. I think we're at a point now with the multiverse that we're going to see for the next two years. I think we could see Nicolas Cage in the suit. He's already been a Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we could see him in some way. Yeah. I think Not in his own movie. I think obviously. it's possible. But at the same time, this seems like it was a kind of a cash grab and also a merchandising opportunity. If you look at the suit tests and everything, mm-hmm. he had multiple suit looks. And it I, going off of what happened with Batman Forever and especially Batman and Robin, where they literally just arbitrarily changed suits so they could sell more toys. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it didn't get made. Okay. Would this have not done much more for Superman's movie career? It would have done, uh, it would have done more to damage the overall, you know, uh, superhero clearly movie. they didn't care about the character. No, no. No, No, this would have muddied the waters of Superman, uh, clearly a beloved character, but also just comic book movies in general. In my own humble opinion, Mm -hmm. I feel like John Peters dug a hole so deep 
that Tim Burton was trying to dig his way out of it, but just couldn't get out in time. Yeah, Tim Burton looking Superman. That's strange to me. But he did Batman. Oh, no, but he's kind of perfect for Batman. Yeah. Like you look at the sets of Gotham, whether they're just paintings or not. Right. It works. It's it's gothic. And that's the thing is, I, you know, I, Tim Burton, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of his work. And yeah. I, but I just Superman seems like an odd fit for him. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think so on that one. So Superman lives with Nick Cage. As fun as it sounds, I, I'm going to say no on that. All right. Okay. What do you got, Kent? So my next one, I'm going to take a little. I'm going to go a little bit faster on this one because uh-huh. there's less details. But it's the movie I want to see more than any other on my list. Okay. And it's Guillermo del Toro. You said Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. That's way easier to say. Mason X at the mountains. What? Mason X. Why'd you go say Mason X? Lexia. Sometimes you are having allergies and need some Mason X. Guillermo del Toro's Mason X. Hey. At the Mountains of Madness. Okay. Now, if this is not a new Marvel, Marvel movie, it basically <laughs> a multiverse of at the mountains. So this is an HP Lovecraft story. Oh. You know, if we know by Del Toro, by Del Toro. That's Ooh. that's a does that not Ooh. like? Does that not like? Is that not heaven to you? Yeah. And it was heaven to him. This is probably what he would consider at this point because he can't make it his passion project. So he wanted to make this in 2006. Remember, this was just a few years after maybe... Pull back just a little bit. Oh, you were just going to say. Del Toro. What is Del Toro doing? Indie scary movies. Devil's Backbone. Okay. More of a drama, but okay. Kronos. Devil's Backbone? I think it's kind of scary. When was, it's uh, scary, but it's, yeah, it's not it's as scary drama. as I wanted it to well, be. Well, that's, that's how Del Toro does it. Yeah. When and was then, Pan's Labyrinth? 2005. Okay. So then he does Pan's Labyrinth, and everyone is like, who is this that's guy? That's the best. Then he makes Hellboy, the mm-hmm. first one. And everyone's like, okay, this is a very visual director. I think we're going to give him a chance. And remember, at the same time, Peter Jackson was talking to him about The Hobbit. This is another. A Hobbit could get its own section. I'm not going to make it, but he was meant to make two Hobbit movies. Gilman Del Toro was. If those two guys are in a room together, how do they know which one is which? Honestly, it's so true. <laughs> Google them; they look the same. And uh, but two movies. I mean, The Hobbit's at least three, right? Mm-hmm. It should have been Del Toro's two movies, but that's another show altogether. Yeah. Yep. So he says, "Hey, I, instead of making these movies, and remember, this is at a time where Del Toro was going to make the Haunted Mansion for Disney. Right. He had 17 projects lined up that he's never made. His main." project was at the mountains of madness because if anyone can do creature design in a movie it would be this guy yeah and so finally we would He's get the best of the best cthulhu which has only really become popular in the past like i think five years in pop He's culture memeable yes exactly and so he he went to warner brothers and he said hey i'm going to make a rated r adventure movie that ends pretty darkly. It's a very gothic horror film. They said, okay, can we get like a uh, love story in here? Can we get a happy ending? And he's like, oh, no. Like a space dog? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's not that kind of movie at all. In fact, this is going to be really dark. And I'm going to need $150 million to make this movie. And they said, oh, for a rated R movie? No way. There's the door. <laughs> and times have changed. Yeah, times have totally changed. But then they did kind of change because in 2010, James Cameron was like, I just made Avatar. I have a lot of money. I will produce at the Mountains of Madness, and we're going to have Tom Cruise come and star. Tom Cruise in an H.P. Lovecraft movie directed by Guillermo del Toro doesn't really seem like it would fit. Although Tom produced Cruise, by James Cameron, yes. Although it Tom Cruise has money. pulled off a lot of stuff, yeah. You know, albeit not a lot of people didn't like his work in the Mummy, which Universal right. tried to launch that with the Dark Universe. He he's not bad in that movie. No. I, I think so as well. Yeah. He's not bad in anything, honestly. No, and he knows how to pick a script. He's so the same in everything. He, I, uh, That's true. True. He's like a he's like an old fashioned movie star, right? Yes. And I think he knew with Del Toro's script for the at the Mountains of Madness, there was something special there because I think Tom Cruise picks scripts better than anyone. 
And so then Del Toro was like, okay, I'm going to make my movie. And so once again, he goes to studios and the studio's like, you can make your movie, has to be PG-13. And he's like, nope. So he went to like three other studios. And this is like Warner Brothers, legendary at the time. Uh, I think Disney talked to him at one point and he's just like, no, this is my thing. It needs to be rated R and it needs to be kind of dark. And they kind of kept delaying him. And he's like, okay, I still have the star lined up. I still have Cameron's money. I can do this. And then he saw Prometheus. And once again, so I'm going to pause there because I'm going to get into the story. Of Why it, the are you bringing of Madness, Prometheus? Because it affects this movie in a small way. And it's, I think in a way that no one would ever notice, but let me give you the longer IMDb synopsis for At the Mountains of Madness. Okay. So it details the events of a disastrous expedition to Antarctica in September 1930 and what is found there by a group of explorers led by the narrator, Dr. William Dyer, that would be Tom Cruise, of Miskatonic University. Throughout the story, Dyer details a series of previously untold events in the hope of deterring another group of explorers who wish to return to Antarctica. Sounds like the thing. It, in, it's very much like the thing in many ways because there's some horrific body horror in, okay. in the story. These events include the discovery of an ancient civilization older than the human race. That's where Prometheus kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. And the realization of Earth's past told through various sculptures and murals. And it truly is a madness story. H.P. Lovecraft, he doesn't, he's not good at like describing characters and making very like humanistic, but he creates larger than life, ungodly horror that you can't really describe somehow, but he does it well. And I think that's what this movie would have been. It's like horror that you can't really show on screen and you can't show like Cthulhu and be like, be scared. It needs to be a psychological horror. Okay. And that's what he's going for here. And no studio wanted to touch it. And then when he saw Prometheus, he said, Oh, the ending of that was really similar to the ending of my movie. And I think that has to do with the engineers mm. in it. And he said, I'm out. I can't, I can't make this movie anymore. Maybe not realizing that Prometheus wouldn't really make an impact in pop culture. No. Well, except the, for the, the people didn't, there's a sour taste. There's a Prometheus school of running away from things. If you want oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I think Del Toro's smart enough to stay away from that. Yeah. But I think Del Toro would still make this movie. In fact, he wears a ring. And it is for this fake Miskatonic University. And he says, this, uh, this is the ring, and he wears it every day. This is the one that appears in the, in the novella. And I'm going to wear this until I make the movie. They may bury me with it. Knowing this movie may never be made the wow. way he wants it to be made, and he won't make it unless it's how he wants Just it to be made. Just make it, man. Take Cameron's money and run. Honestly, there have been directors like, like Mel Gibson, for example. Love him or hate him, he took his money and made one of the biggest R-rated movies of all time mm, the with passion. The Passion. And he got all the money back. Maybe there is a huge risk with that, the Mountains of Madness. But I feel like with the slow burn horror movement that we've seen in the past five years, I think it's the appropriate time for this. I think yeah. this could be made. Yes. Prediction. Yes. I think Guillermo del Toro is going to start making it. Okay. And he's going to pass away. And Peter Jackson is going to pick up the torch. Oh, no. And carry it for him to the end. And make nine movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I feel like if we were going to make this today, and Zach, I'm pushing this towards you. Yeah. HBO series mm. with full financing. Yeah. This needs to be dark. This is so this would be and, their their Game of Thrones replacement. And this would not be such a nudity content because sure. this is not the kind of story that was written back then. This would there be a lot of vulgarity for sure. Yeah. There would be a lot of blood and I feel like this could easily be made without Tom Cruise today. Yeah. I do picture more of a character actor in the role. And I feel like this could easily be made. Yeah, I actually agree with you. Greenlit as a limited series. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The year was 1988. Beetlejuice was a huge success. That's right. I'm going back to Tim Burton because in 1990, 
Burton hired a writer named Jonathan Gems to write a sequel to Beetlejuice called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. I hate it. <laughs> I hate goes anything. It's what? such an earnest <laughs> thing to do. Uh, Gems is a screenwriter mostly known for his work on Mars Attacks. Good job, dude. <laughs> Uh, but Tim thought it would be funny to match the surfing backdrop, like a, of a you know the, the beach type movie, with German expressionism because you know that's what people want. And I uh, think Burton could pull it off. Well, the thing is, he did Halloween and Christmas together, mm-hmm. and it worked out well. And Burton could do it. But Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. If you don't know the story of Beetlejuice, I'm just going to bring it back real quick. This couple, Adam and Barbara, die, and then try to figure out the afterlife because it's this weird place. And this character, Beetlejuice, comes in and just kind of messes things up. Mm-hmm. And then gets sent back He's definitely back not to a death. hero character. No, he's, he's an anti-hero, yeah. definitely. But it's just one of the things where his story is done. But in this story, here's how it goes. The Dietz family, by the way, were the people that moved into Adam Barber's house after they'd passed away. So they're humans living with these ghosts all around them. Mm-hmm. So the Dietz family moves to Hawaii, <laughs> where Charles is developing a resort. They soon discovered that his company is building on the burial ground of an ancient Hawaiian kahuna. The spirit comes back from to the afterlife to cause trouble, and then Beetlejuice becomes a hero by winning a surf contest with magic. <laughs> does this sound like a Brady Bunch episode? Because I feel like it sounds like a Brady Bunch it episode. Sure an episode of uh, Batman, the original series. But here's the thing. Michael Keaton and uh-huh. Winona Ryder, who were in the original uh, Beetlejuice film, yeah. agreed to do the film as long as Tim Burton was directing. Because they just believed that he could pull it off. Yes. So was he slated to direct? He was, but as it kept stretching out longer and longer, all of a sudden Batman Returns started popping up, and both Michael Keaton and Tim Burton got distracted with that. Mm. So they pulled away from the project. Then, in August 1993, a producer, David Geffen, hired a writer for a rewrite, and Warner Brothers actually approached Kevin Smith in 1996 to say, hey, can you write this Beetlejuice Because he was script? like an indie it boy in yeah. the mid-90s. And he said, no, I'm sorry. I'm working on Superman Lives. <laughs> so bringing that back. Wait, so how many years after the original was this going to come out? Or like how long so, in development was it? Well, 88 like was years? when Beetlejuice came out. Mm-hmm. And now we're at 1993. They're, they're calling for a rewrite. Okay. And then in 96, they asked Kevin Smith for another rewrite. And then in 97, the writer, Jonathan Gems, the original writer, said it'll likely never get made. You couldn't do it. They're getting too old for the role. Okay. Uh, but then, then, in September 2011, Warner Brothers hired Seth Graham Smith, oh. who worked with Tim Burton on Dark Shadows. And, and he does uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, I, yeah. He, he worked on Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. They said, we want you to write a sequel to Beetlejuice. Whether it be Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian or not, they're trying to get a sequel made. And then in November 2013... Uh, Winona Ryder hinted at a possible return by saying, I'm kind of sworn to secrecy, but it sounds like it might be happening. She's like, I don't really have a job right now, so I yeah. hope I can get one. <laughs> yeah, Stranger is, Things this is, is a couple years things. away. Yeah, it's still away. And in 2015, so keep in mind, I'm jumping through time. But we, oh, started yeah. at 80, we started at 90, and we're already in 2015. Graham Smith, uh, the writer, told Entertainment Weekly that the script was finished and that he and Burton intended to start filming Beetlejuice 2 by the end of the year and that Keaton and Ryder were both on but, board. But just Beetlejuice 2. Maybe not Hawaii. They, maybe they not didn't Hawaii, say. but they were getting Beetlejuice 2. In 2015, Winona Ryder said, confirmed that she would be reprising her role as Lydia Dietz in the sequel. And she would be like a mom at this point, right? I guess, but this is 2015. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, Burton said, yeah, there's nothing concrete yet. Oh, but then in 2019, <laughs> oh my heart! Warner Brothers stated the sequel has been shelved. Okay, so after that's all a nice that way run, of saying never. It's one of those ones that it looks like it got kicked around the block so mm-hmm. many times, and it may not even be Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian anymore. 
but it's been shelved again, and who knows if we'll ever see a Beetlejuice sequel. But Tim Burton has said he will never, there will never be another Beetlejuice but Michael Keaton, which I'm glad. Yeah, I was going to say. He could still play the role. Seems like totally there would good. be a, a reboot there, but I'm, I'm glad they wouldn't go. It's one of the weirdest things when you watch Beetlejuice and Batman, they came out a year apart, and it seems like yeah. two totally different people. Yeah. So Beetlejuice goes to Hawaiian, Zach. Aloha or aloha? <laughs> Uh, 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 heck no. Uh, for, <laughs> not at all. For so many reasons. Well, wouldn't you, let's say they came out with a good script. by it? Yeah, probably. It, what if there's a good script? Like, do you think he could pull it off? Like, would this be, because the musical has made Beetlejuice popular again. Uh, yeah, and the script is not why I like that show either. Uh, yeah. I, that has far too much Lydia in it, but uh, that's for another show. That's because if you get too much Beetlejuice, people are like, that's not Michael Keaton. Right. As far as Beetlejuice 2 goes, that's not a horrible idea, especially with Burton and and Keaton. If they I don't have even a solid need Winona Ryder. I just need the actual Beetlejuice. If they have a solid idea. The but, problem is they keep, they keep making sequels just to make sequels like, no. oh, nostalgia. Okay. There's no. a reason for it. Beetlejuice origin story. Would no. you guys want to see that? No. no. <laughs> I just want to upset you guys. No, not at all. I don't need to know how he became. I don't need to see a live Beetlejuice and find out his name was Hank and we should yeah, sympathize what if it's with like, him. What if it's like Joker? And it's no. like all dark and no. gritty. And, nope. No. <laughs> You're so mad. Move on. I like man. that it lives in one movie and it's been influential and everybody knows the song. And no. From one bad sequel to another. Let me talk about a sequel to a best picture movie. Which don't often get sequels. Back with the wind. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you after Subway. So <laughs> like two daylight. <laughs> Sorry, personal attack, Zach. Aww. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> so I'm talking about Ridley Scott's Gladiator Two. Hold Ridley. on, hold on, hold on. Spoiler alert Kay. for 2000s Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Five, oh, six, seven, seven eight. eight. Maximus dies. Yeah. He dies. He's 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 listening to Lisa Gerrard's "Now We Are Free," touching uh, rain with the top of his hand. Beautiful moment. It's a, it's an amazing. He part goes of the movie. to the Elysian Fields. I would say the best part of the movie. Uh, the whole movie is great. It's okay. It's amazing. Great ending. Uh, I beautiful love beautiful soundtrack. I love the movie. You and, don't like Gladiator? No, he didn't. Remember we talked about this in our war movie one. I need to watch That's it again. Right. You do and give it just. Maybe I'll just watch Gladiator two. Anyway, uh, never watch Gladiator two because it should never be made. I don't want this Gladiator two American Gladiator. Thunder and laser, whatever. Just wait. So the original made $457 million at the box office. And this is back in 2000. 2000. That's huge money then. Uh, Russell Crowe. Like, lo- like he was already in The Insider, but it launched his career. Didn't Les Miserables do that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> launched his singing career? Oh, wait. Yeah. Or he got Best Actor. It won Best Picture. A ton of other awards. Ridley Scott, who has an inconsistent career when it comes to his filmography. Yes. High highs and low lows. Yes. So he was like, okay, I have a sequel idea, but it's not going to have Russell Crowe or Gladiators, but I'm still going to kind of continue it on. And I'm going to get into some of those ideas in just a second. Russell Crowe was not too pleased with that. He's like, hey, I was in the first one. I made it popular. Make it with me. Mm -hmm. And so then they're like, okay, what should we do? Russell Crowe's like, hey, you know that singer Nick Cave that no one really knows? Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds? Yes. Yeah. Let's get him to write the script. Nick Cave, the says, singer, yes, to write. A, has he written anything before? I don't know if he saw Gladiator uh, songs, <laughs> because his story for Gladiator is this. He, oh, and Russell Crowe says in quotes, he's like, "What do I do? You, it ended well. What should I do?" And he goes, "Yeah, you sort that out. You sort that out, mate." And so this is the story of Gladiator Two. Hmm. Maximus wakes up in the afterlife because once again, spoiler alert, he dies. Yes. Beginning of the movie, he wakes up in the afterlife, but he's not in Elysium. He's in a rain-soaked netherworld where everyone's in pain. It's kind of like that like scene in What Dreams May Come, right? 
where it's this, yeah, it's limbo, it's purgatory, mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, what's happening? I was promised this. This guide comes to him and says, let's go to a temple. We're going to meet Jupiter, Mars, and other gods. Once again, does this sound familiar from the first gladiator? Right? No. no. So he's meeting Roman gods, and these Roman gods say, hey, Hephaestus, who, by the way, is a Greek god, so I don't think Nick Cave knew his mythology very well. <laughs> Hephaestus has betrayed us, and he keeps talking about the one true god, and we need you to stop Hephaestus and the one true god. What? Okay? <laughs> so, no. Keep following me. These gods send Maximus back to Earth 20 years after he died. Okay? And they say, if you do what we, if you do what we want, we will reunite you with your family in Elysium. Even though he's already earned a trip to the Elysium fields, he now has to do a, a, a mission for them. Sent him back how? They just zap him back. It, it's, it literally says, zap him back. But I mean, he's like... He's I mean, in his body. Is he immortal yes. or immortal? He is mortal. Okay. Okay, but they say, go do what we want. Does his hand like come up out of the ground? Because I'm pretty I, sure Hopefully, he like a cool scene. Yeah. Yeah, and so anyways, he's back down to Earth, and I don't think Nick Cave saw the first movie because he is looking for his son, who, spoiler alert... Five, six, seven, eight was burned to death in the first movie. Okay. Okay. So he's looking for his son, but he maybe meets, he had two. Yeah. <laughs> he meets Juba, played by Jumon Hansu in the movie, and then they they're like, "Oh, hey, Not you're yet. back. This is so crazy." And he goes, "Not yet." He goes, "I'm on a mission." And then, but they run into Lucius, the Malfoy? nephew, the nephew of Commodus. Oh, Lucius, the boy from the movie, who right. is kind of terrorized by his uncle. But Lucius is a bad, bad man. Lucius runs the government. Lucius being Joaquin Phoenix's nephew, nephew in the in the original yes. movie. Yes, okay. he's just as bad as Commodus. In fact, Lucius is trying Does he to do kill the thumb thing. Probably, he's trying to make sure his army crushes any Christian antagonizers for the government because now Christians are around. Okay, and so that's kind of a B plot. There are all these Christians running around looking for Jesus, and so Maximus finds out that the gods want him to kill jesus and then he will be able to get back to his family what uh, i i know just wait just wait there's more there's more and so he refuses and so he and juba join these christian antagonizers this rebellion and they fight against the roman army and it seems like everything's going to go well but because he chose war instead of what the gods wanted all of a sudden the movie flashes him throughout time world war one world war two korea Vietnam, all Desert Storm. You see Maximus, kind of like the intro scene in Origins Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah, exactly that. He's fighting in every war because he chose war. He will eternally be in war, and he has cursed the earth to war forever. And that is how the movie ends. Well, I'm, that's the best comedy I've seen in years. <laughs> Russell Crowe, after reading this, said, "Don't like it, Mike. Don't like it." And so they fired in a cave. And Ridley Scott's like, okay, well, I just, I just won't think about the movie for a while. And they let it go. And only three years ago, some producers were said, hey, Ridley Scott, do you want to make a TV show for Gladiator 2? He says, as long as you don't make the, that original concept, yeah. I'm down. So they may, this was three years ago, they may have, I bet it will never happen. They may eventually do a Lucius story where he's a good leader of the government inspired by Maximus. But that story... I almost kind of want to see it because it sounds like it would ruin the entire legacy of the original movie. Right. Because it's a time-traveling war movie where Maximus is sent by multiple gods to kill Jesus. That's... Wow. <laughs> yeah. Assassin's Creed. Oh, almost. yeah, yeah. A kind of Assassin's Creed. A little bit. But with Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah, no. 
A hardcore no on That's that a hardcore one. no. Uh, I think an idea of a gladiator, almost a, a series where it's an anthology series where you do that could work. See different time periods and, and you know, you have some sort of link. I, you know, that would be cool. But that movie sounds I'd, awful. I'd yeah. only watch it if they make the title Gladiator 2, Madiator. Because <laughs> now he's Electric mad. Boogaloo. <laughs> Madiator? Madiator. Madiator. Because he's not glad anymore. <laughs> Maximus ain't glad no more. That's a tagline. Wow. I, I'm just I'm making this up, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm writing it. Just pay me. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you got, Joel? My turn. Yours third. The year was 1977. Close Encounters of the Third Kind was an unexpected success, and uh, Columbia Pictures had become enthusiastic about the idea of a sequel to Close Encounters. But Steven Spielberg didn't want to do a sequel. But he was above that at that time? Well, he kind of saw what happened with Jaws when they made a sequel without his involvement. That's true. So he was like, I don't want to make a sequel, but I also don't want to be involved. Or not, don't want to not be involved. Yeah. And so he started kind of working with an idea of just another alien type movie called Watch the Skies. That's creepy uh, enough. Uh, yeah. And that's the thing is, it's, you know, there's actually an old uh, uh, sci fi movie, very classic one, where it's like, watch, keep watching the skies and things like that. But here's the premise 11 malicious extraterrestrial scientists try to communicate with chickens, cows, and other livestock in an attempt to discover which of Earth's animal species are sentient. Before turning their unwelcome attentions on a human family and dissecting farm animals. So it's basically the story of a family holed up in a house with aliens trying to attack them. Science. Kind of, yes. Okay. Kind of like that. Like just Before that, that last scene. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is actually based on the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, which, if you don't know that, it's a very interesting story about a family in Kentucky that claimed they were like terrorized by aliens for like four hours. And they were shooting guns out the window and all that. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. A lot of moonshine involved. Uh, anyway, so, I mean, this is something where he starts working on the script. NASA announced that Steven Spielberg had paid to reserve cargo space on the 1980 inaugural space shuttle flight so he could film the Earth and the moon for part of his footage. That's kind of cool. He got, he wanted Early to get, B-roll. Uh, he wanted to get Lawrence Kasdan to, to flesh out the script, his idea, uh, but he was too busy with uh, Empire Strikes Back at this sure. time. So then he turned his, his eye to John Sayles, who wrote Piranha, <laughs> uh, which was which Spielberg actually enjoyed. It was a Jaws ripoff, but he, he liked it. And so Sayles started to write this script of Watch the Skies, and he named one of the aliens Scar. You oh, know? That sounds scary. He's a scary alien. <laughs> he also had uh, Squirt and Buddy. Uh, are those alien uh, names as well? Yes. And Buddy was actually like Scar and Squirter. Kind of, he, he narrowed it down to five aliens from 11. They sound like high school, like bro names. <laughs> but he, there's Scar, Squirt, and Buddy. And Buddy was actually the kind alien of the group. Makes who, sense. Who ends up befriending the family's autistic son. Okay. So he's kind of the friend one. Uh, the film starts with Scar killing farm animals by touching them with a long bony finger that had an eerie light on it. And ended <gasps> with Buddy at the end marooned on Earth because his jerk brother's flew away and he's cowering under the shadow of approaching hawks so this nice alien ends up getting it in the end not a very happy movie mm-hmm. and honestly there were some differences between uh, steven spielberg and and the writer sales and they ended up parting ways but he's like i want to do something with the, the idea and then he thought about who's going to direct this and so he thought about toby hooper who done oh, yeah. texas chainsaw massacre at this point and he said maybe he can direct it and then he said you know i want to do this scary movie I need a creature guy. I'm going to hire Rick Baker. Perfect. Who did, uh, he was currently working on American Werewolf in London. He's mm-hmm. this great, great special effects guy. Mm-hmm. 
And so he built this working prototype, cost $70,000 of this alien. You can go out and you can see it online if you look up Rick Baker, watch this guy's alien or something like that. And then he did models and animatronics. In fact, he ended up spending about $700,000 on all this he was working on. And then Spielberg decided to go a different direction. He was actually scheduled to begin shooting after he was done with Raiders of the Lost Ark. But as he's sitting there doing Raiders of the Lost Ark and like, you know, he's you know, killing Nazis and blowing up stuff and this very high energy type thing. Right. He said, Steven Spielberg said to himself, I've got to get back to tranquility or at least the spirituality of Close Encounters. And he was reading the, the, the script to uh, Harrison Ford's girlfriend at the time, uh, Melissa Matheson, uh, who ended up marrying Harrison Ford, actually. And he's reading the script and she was like, no, I really like Buddy. I really like the nice alien. The one that gets eaten by hawks. Yes. Yes. Wait a minute. And so uh, Watch This Guys became Night Skies, which became E.T. E. So because of this, he started writing the story about this nice alien who befriends a boy. Oh, and this is why it sounded familiar. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> it's like the glowing finger, right? Yeah. yeah. All these elements start coming together. So Watch This Guys, Night Skies, whatever you want to call it. It's called both of them. It's kind of got tossed aside. Yeah, it makes sense. And For a better said, movie. we're going to make extraterrestrial about this really nice alien but the executives the the leader of columbia was not happy and did not want to make quote a a wimpy disney movie even though the movie made so much money so then universal studios uh, an executive at universal studios bought the project from columbia and gave them one million dollars said you know we'll just take that oh, okay and uh, then they said but you can also retain five percent of the profits that we end up making so they say, the studio says that I think we made more that year on that picture than we did on any of our actual <laughs> films. Because so, one of the highest box office earners at the time, right? Yes. And not only was E.T. kind of spawned off of this, but if you notice, I talked about Toby Hooper mm-hmm. and a family being terrorized, which leads you to Poltergeist. Exactly. Also, uh, the creatures were very, they, they described it as kind of gremlin-like, which of course leads to gremlins. And in fact, in gremlins... You can see, and mm-hmm. there's something where there's one innocent gremlin, one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gizmo, but then you have all the evil ones around him. Oh, Spike instead of Scar? Yeah. You huh. see these kind of little fingerprints there. And in fact, there is, you can see in the movie Gremlins, you can see a marquee that movie, one of the movies playing at the theater is Watch the Skies. What? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Zach pulled up a picture of it right now. But wait, <laughs> there's, there's more. more. Because this also, after E.T. came out and was such a huge hit, and this is all tied in. You got to make a sequel, right? They started making the sequel E.T. 2. So this was, we had pre-T, and now this is E2. I hate it. I hate it. I'm coming up with titles Pre-T. right on the spot. Pay me, guys. Pre-T was such an awkward time in my life. <laughs> Man, this is so much information. I'm no, it's good. It. It's good. Yeah. Feed us. So E.T. 2 features a group of evil aliens who have <laughs> red eyes and razor sharp teeth and yellow heart lights, and they are at war with E.T.'s people. And they hear the signal coming from Earth, so they come to Earth, but E.T.'s already gone. And this is years after he'd been there, because, you know, light, space, travel, whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They land there, and Elliot and Gertie are like, oh, E.T.'s back, running up to the ship. Oh, and no. then these monsters come out, kidnap them, okay. interrogate them, and When you say interrogate, them. okay, that's what I wanted to know. They torture mm. children. Including you said years had passed, though, right? So they're like uh, 13. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's okay. It's <laughs> the statute there. Like when they said they torture Gertie. I, you can yeah, actually you can't out, do that. You can read the treatment. And the treatment's just like a very a short and shortened version of the script. It's mm-hmm. out there in PDF form. You can go read this. And it's horrifying because yeah. they literally torture Elliot as he's screaming in pain for E.T. until he passes out. And they carry his limp body and put it back in these cages made of light that they have there. 
And then E.T. shows up in the last 15 minutes, saves them, and then flies away again. That's it? That's the movie. E.T. 2 kids. Wait, 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 wait. So it's not even like an adventure. It's not a journey. They're being interrogated and imprisoned the whole time. And tortured, yes. Kids are and then tortured. saved right at the end. Yep. And that's the movie. Yes. And but Spielberg probably wanted nothing to do with this, right? More got on. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you one of the best parts. E.T.'s real name is revealed in this film, buddy. No, Tom. Zrek. Z-R-E-K. Craven Waffles. Pretty much my name. So, <laughs> But that movie ended up getting scrapped, thank goodness. So Pre-T and E.T. 2 both. Okay, let's made. adjust it then, Joel. Could this work in any way? Do Pre-2-T? we want to see? <laughs> it kind Pre-2-T. of sounds like it did. It almost really sounds like this did spawn at least ideas in other movies. And so kind of in a roundabout way, I'm like, yeah, let's make this movie or, or have made this movie. Like the Explorers or something like that. Like, I wonder, yeah, I wonder what this influenced. Well, and we, we see the influence in, in a couple other movies, like Signs you mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Like the whole family being, uh, what was that one? Uh, Dark Skies? Dark Skies? Yeah, Dark Skies. That was terrifying. Right. And it's a family, it's families being hor- uh, horrified or ter- terrorized by these aliens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I don't know if that movie could be made. Pretty couldn't be made. I kind of wish it was made, but I wish Toby Hooper made E.T. 2. Where everyone saw it as a B movie sequel in the eighties. Because yeah. remember, the eighties were the time of bad sequels. Yeah. Yes. Whereas, like, none of the cast really returned. Yeah. Um, or if they did, it was super reluctant, like Jaws two. Right. Yeah. And it, it was like a borrowed concept, but it wasn't really thought that it was going to ruin the original. But the problem is, like, a return it would to Oz sort original. of thing. I don't think ET two could never be made. Do you think his... using the iconography and the merchandising of ET would be bad in Kent, a movie like this? ET was scary enough. <laughs> We don't need to traumatize children When he was anymore. wearing the wig? No, when he's like in the cornfield. <laughs> that gets me every time. I just feel like with a different director and a different take, this could have worked. I, I feel like somehow, I just don't as a cult favorite, this could have worked. It, but not as like the plot you mentioned. I feel like just as more of an intergalactic battle where humans are involved in the central characters because the budget would have been That's very Transformers. low. So who's who's this perspective from in this movie? Is it is it the aliens or the main character or the family? Is? It seemed like the aliens, like based on the treatment I read, it's like the aliens are main characters because you go see them go like you know kill animals and then find the kids and then it's so weird though. See, I wouldn't mind that's just a different look at it, right? I wouldn't mind a story where we follow the other side of what we usually see horrible, terrible, uh, like horror versions of ET. That's what you want to see. Eesh. Sounds awesome. No green light. No. I'll watch it. I'll Next, I'm pulling funding. <laughs> you already greenlit it. No, greenlit. I pulled fun- A lot of these were greenlit. Then they got funding pulled. <laughs> this is pseudo greenlit because it technically turned out to be a bunch of awesome movies. True. Kent? Lord of the Rings has already been made. Yes, it has. Very but, well. But before it was ever made, mm. it was almost made by like the most unbelievable group that you think would bring this to to the big screen and this was actually only 11 years after the book came out so the book came out in 1952 and the beatles were such fans of reading this book series w- when they were growing up what they wanted to make lord of the rings but lord what of the er- rings. This is like early oh. early beatles so the beatles at this time remember not only did they have a huge record deal they had a movie picture deal with united artists and so they already made hard days a hard days and night mm-hmm. and help and so the studio said, okay, you have one more movie with us. You decide. Your movies are already kind of insane anyways. What do you want your third movie to be about? And they said, Lord of the Rings, please. And they're like, wow. You realize how hard that's going to be because J.R.R. Tolkien was still alive at mm-hmm. this time. I want to wear that ring. 
it was going to be a movie where they were going to, and maybe a trilogy, but it doesn't really say. I think it was maybe just one. They were going to write original music. It was going to be a comedy musical. Eight rings were made. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say everything of a Three more rings of power. <laughs> one to rule them all. I think we need to do this. I think we need to like spoof <laughs> this entire thing. I love it. And so let me tell you what characters they were going to play, and I'll give you a little bit more history into this. Frodo, Paul McCartney. Naturally. Okay. Gollum, John Lennon. <laughs> Naturally. Gandalf, George Harrison. Yeah. And Samwise, Ringo Starr. <laughs> wow. And Everyone I think, needs a Sam. I feel like that was going to be the cast for Lord of the Rings. But here was the problem. So, all of it? Yeah, all of it, basically. Drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we can just call it drugs. So this was 19... The 1963 is when they formed the deal, and so it was probably three to four years later. And so John Lennon loved Stanley Kubrick, and he said, "Hey," and 2001 had not come out yet, by the way. The, yeah, yeah. He's and so he said, "Hey, will you make this movie?" Stanley Kubrick's like, "Tell me more about it." And so he started describing how it's going to be comedy musical. He can make it visually cool. Maybe the budget wouldn't have been huge. Just like Tolkien imagined a comedy musical of his books. <laughs> exactly. And Stanley Kubrick was like, he signed on until there were some issues. And the issues came with J.R.R. Tolkien. He held this very near and dear to his heart. Just like you said. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is not my vision. And he hated the Beatles. Well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, imagine being the Beatles. You're like, we're loved by literally everyone. J.R.R. Tolkien is over there smoking his pipe and not only saying, get off my lawn. This is why he hated the Beatles, among their music as well. Three doors away from J.R.R. Tolkien's house was a garage band that he three said. Three doors down? Yeah, three doors down. <laughs> I would hate the Beatles too if I thought they were three doors down. But he heard this garage band play all the time and he said, I hate that kind of music. It reminds me of the Beatles. So because these annoying kids in this guy's neighborhood were so loud, he would not give them franchise rights. The Beatles never made their third movie for United Artists because they were so broken up about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, maybe he had to give some money back or whatever. Help. I need a ring wraith. Help. Not just any <laughs> ring wraith. How long were you planning that? Uh, this whole time. <laughs> I, were you talking? Yeah. <laughs> but this, the, the thing about it, this movie, if it was made, it would be a joke because like, for example, like Leonard Nimoy singing about Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Yes. Like, it's not like Lord of the Rings has always had this legacy of greatness, right? The animated movies, for better or worse, it was did a their deep, thing. It was deep cut nerd stuff for a long time. Right. And so it would have made a profit because the Beatles movies actually did pretty well. Like as poorly as they were made or whatnot. People, hey, mm, I'm not a big fan. Do you, which would you like, Hard Day's Night? I like them all. You like them all? Yes, I do. Okay. Save for our Beatles show. I mean, it'll probably happen. So in 2001, when Peter Jackson released the movie, and he knew all about this, he's a big Lord of the Rings fan, he reached out to Paul McCartney and said, what'd you think? He goes, uh, was satisfactory, but what it was missing was a Beatles soundtrack. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Stop. And also, right now, Peter Jackson is about to release his Beatles documentary. Yeah, really So kind of full circle right there, mm-hmm. which I'm sure will be mentioned during it. But imagine, in 1967, we could have got the Beatles Lord of the Rings. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but with the soundtrack, as you Joel's you already described. leave the Shire. <laughs> no. No. How long were you thinking of that one? <laughs> uh, three, two minutes. I don't know. No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah, uh, no. No green light for you. <laughs> All right. Joel. The year was 1985. <laughs> I'm still not alive. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan had just come out. That's right. Greenlit. Underwhelming. <laughs> I'm doing a Muppet one. Yay! 
but Jim Henson, Jerry Jewell, and Frank Oz started developing this idea. And Jewell, uh, Jerry Jewell, he was the head writer from the Muppets from the late 70s to the early, to, through the 1990s. But he talked about how they had this idea for a movie because after the Muppets take Manhattan, Jim Henson had said, if they made another Muppet movie at that time, it would have to be an inexpensive one because Muppets take Manhattan wasn't the huge success they wanted it to be. Okay. So the idea was, is that Gonzo wanted to direct a movie and then Kermit was a little too busy. So he says, yeah, go ahead, whatever. I can't take the responsibilities for it. So you just do whatever you want. And so he gave Gonzo a budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then Gonzo writes this horrible plot about something being stolen and there's going to be a chase around the world. But here's the gimmick of the movie, because the movie is called The Cheapest Muppet Movie Ever Made. That's the meta title. That's the title. It actually works for the Muppets, though, based on how their first movie was kind of shown. Yeah. Right? It's a movie about a movie. Right. And this one, the whole point was they were going to, uh, Gonzo was going to blow half the movie's budget on the opening titles. So it starts Very off Gonzo with these amazing sequences and special effects and everything happening like that. And then as the movie goes on, he obviously is running out of budget, so it gets cheaper and cheaper. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> the film gets, you know, grainier and grainier. So it says by the end, they're using like Super 8 film, black and white. And then uh, they start... Zach like, is loving this. I love it so they have, like, He, he says, screenlit it already. It's a, it's a chase around the world, but they use the same street corner every time because they run out of money. And it gets... To the- <laughs> You're killing him. Joel, stop now. By, stop now. He's sold. By the way... Uh, this elevator page Gonzo's really film, Gunzo film is called Into the Jaws of the Demons of Death. That's what it's called. I love it. But by the end, he says it... Tur- well, he just lifted his glasses and is wiping his eyes. So it gets cheaper and cheaper. It turns into, like I said, uh, grainy film. Then it turns into slideshow where it's just like a picture. Uh-huh. And then it turns into storyboards. <laughs> so it's the end of all the land. It, well, yeah. it, it, gets, well, it gets there. But then at the very end of the movie, Gonzo finally <laughs> gains some corporate, uh, corporate sponsorship. And then has this huge ending at the end with tons of like product placement to kind of finish out the film. Oh, that's nice. Like <laughs> and I thought, world. I actually think I'm like, that's a funny idea. Like, it is. So I'm that crying. doesn't have to be Muppets. That could be a film, but it makes I, that sense. That just entered Zach's top 10 of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so good. But the thing is, this is the idea they had back then, and it kept getting kicked around. Like every now and then they just bring up the movie to each other. We really should do that. We is really it the one they always that. wanted to do, but just didn't yeah. think it would work, maybe? Um, well, the thing is, well, also the funny thing is, it was supposed to be the cheapest Muppet movie ever made, but it ended up being a very expensive shoot because they're going to have these, like, like a volcano blowing up an island at the very beginning of the movie or something like that. Okay. And he said, uh, Jim Jewell said, uh, Jewell or Joel, I don't know how to say it, J U H L. But he said that in his last meeting he ever had with Jim Henson, they were actually talking about this project. Like it was one of the conversation topics they mm-hmm. brought up. Uh, in 2000, uh, Frank Oz discussed that they were going to resurrect it again. And then in 2009, September 2009, the script was mentioned as the next Muppet movie at the D23 Expo. So the big Disney Expo, they said, the next Muppet movie is going to be the cheapest Muppet movie ever made. We're going to do this. But... It then got set aside in favor of the Muppets, which came out in 2011. What? So that's what the Muppets is what this became. I like the Muppets, but it's not the cheapest Muppet movie ever made. Well, and in an Ask Me Anything, Frank Oz didn't ask me anything on Reddit. And uh, he said about this movie, they got asked about it. And he said, he said, personally, I love the idea. He actually came back and did a couple of rewrites to kind of modernize it. Mm-hmm. And he said, I wish it could be made, but maybe it's time. But maybe it's time now is gone because it feels like Disney would like to go their own way. Okay. So this and I movie, feel like without Jim Henson, maybe the creative magic was kind of gone as well. Yeah. A little bit. And well, and we've seen a Gonzo-driven movie before, mm-hmm. and it wasn't as strong as the others. Right. And but this one is one where I'm like, I like the concept, but can the Muppets make this movie? Zach, 
Do you green light this movie? Oh, 100%. Okay. Because I think today, now more than ever. Yeah. I think it really strikes at the heart of the the meta-ness mm-hmm. of Muppets. Um, and it seems like it would be their most ultimate, you know, meta movie. And honestly, it could be their swan song and, and the last Muppet movie ever made, you know, yeah. because it would just be like the ultimate joke yeah. that they make in the movies. You know, it's not the same way in the show, but as far as the movies go, it was always movies about movies mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Green light. Nice. Love it. Hilarious. I want to see that. I, I actually, I read that idea. And I'm like, I think that's a funny idea. Really? So I'm going to keep up with the humor and talk about Dune. <laughs> the most popular Halloween costume. <laughs> you took that back. I did. That's right. It's going to be. So we had Dune in the mid eighties. David Lynch's Dune, mm-hmm. which was a mess. Yeah. It's just a straight up mess. I just, my nose itches whenever I think about that. Movie. Yeah. Right. David Spice. Lynch hates that movie. Really? Yeah, he hates some it. Some people love it. It is a cult classic. I think because the book exists and they want to love it so much because the book is sacred to them. Mm-hmm. I need to read the book before the new movie comes out. And once again, weird choice because there's a new movie called Dune based off the book. I mean, a retelling of this story by Denis Villeneuve, however you say his name. Villeneuve. But he is a great person to adapt this movie. But he's not, I think, is passionate as Alejandro Jodorowsky. This is a Chilean-born director who read Dune way back when. In fact, he wanted to release this movie in the 70s. And this was about 1975. When when did Dune come out? The book. The movie. Oh, the mid-80s. So the the movie came out. So this is before that ever was... This This was before. This was post-2001 Space Odyssey. Right. And this that was, sounds weird to say post-2001. Right. But. And this was before Star Wars. Okay. So think of that time period when science fiction was still kind of a think piece. Right. It was a very spiritual thing. Mm. And that's what Jodorowsky's Dune, in fact, there is a documentary you can watch. And it is all about how this one director wanted to make this movie. And how this kind of came to is this director, he made two very strange movies, but he was very acclaimed. He was self-taught. But he was kind of like a uh, wonder kind. Like he was very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. And he got so passionate about this story that he just started collaborating. And in this documentary, you'll see he's like, the internet didn't exist. I just saw a comic book artist that I was like, hey, I need to find that guy. And he would see him at a cafe or at his uh, agents. And he'd be like, I want to work with you. And he'd talk about his passion for Dune, the story. Mm-hmm. And his passion for the story, he called Dune basically a prophet. He thought the story was going to change young people in their minds spiritually forever. And I think he he was basically willing to do it so much that it became his entire career to make this. Can, can you pull it back a bit? And for yeah. people who may not be familiar with Dune, what's the story of Dune? Dune is set in the distant future amidst a feudal interstellar society in which various noble houses control planetary fiefs. Have I lost you already? I'm about to lose you more. It tells the story of young Paul Atreides, whose family accepts the stewardship of planet Arrakis. While the planet is an inhospitable and sparsely populated desert wasteland, it is the only source of the spice. spice, A drug that extends life and enhances mental abilities. Turns your eyes blue. Okay, let's, let's make this a little more casual. You know how we often reference like Game of Thrones for being like very feudal and many kingdoms fighting against each other. Right. This is that, but on a very biblical level, I would say. And they're going for... Game of Dunes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Game of Dunes with a drug that everyone is pursuing that changes the universe. Wasn't basically. Bradley Cooper in a movie like that? 
Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah it's, it feels kind of limited, though. <laughs> <laughs> so what this guy did, and I kind of want to go through the process of how he started trying to make this movie. He found a producer. Uh, but, oh, by the way, Jodorowsky is the director. He moved to France. He found this producer named Michael Sidhu. And he said, I'm going to make this movie. And I've just created the storyboards with this guy named Moebius. And Morbius, the living vampire? Yeah, basically. And he makes this story, a storyboard uh, based on the book. And it is probably two phone book sizes full of movie storyboard. When you think of a movie storyboard book, it is under a tenth of that for wow. any other movie. So this is huge. And they actually ha- show the book in the documentary. And these pages are so wonderfully like crafted. They Every character has its own unique outfit. The costuming is amazing. The production design. Which storyboards are supposed to be very simple. Yeah. No, these are extremely colorful and tell the whole story. And so he shows this producer and the producer says, this is amazing. Please go more into the script. I'm going to buy you a castle. And he, he rented a castle. And he said, go write the script at the castle because this is going to be a life-changing experience. And you need to have a life-changing experience when writing this movie. I need to be a writer. So he does, in right? The 70s, in the 70s. Yeah, because people pay for castles the all the time. So he writes the movie. And then he says, okay, we need a cast. He gets David Carradine in the movie. Jodorowsky casts his son as Paul. And he says, you're not Paul yet. We need to train you like a Spartan warrior. Remember 300? He trained his son to be a warrior and would not allow him to be in the movie. And that's it changed his son dramatically. Wow. Mood, attitude, everything. This guy sounds intense. He's super intense. And then he found like Salvador Dali. He's like, I want you to be in my movie. Salvador, because remember, it's the time period. Mm -hmm. Salvador Dali's like, yeah, I'll be in your movie. Give me $100,000 an hour and I'll be in your movie. (laughs) That's the highest paid actor at the time. And he says, fine. This guy's throwing around money. Not his money. Like nobody's business. And you're going to see why it Was starts failing Was this his first soon. film ever? No. He's made small like westerns. And he made a really strange experimental movie, which people loved, but small budgets. Wow. Okay. And he didn't know how to handle how to handle big budgets. And so what he did. Tommy he, Wiseau? He, basically. <laughs> he got Mick Jagger to play one of the lead roles. What? Mick Jagger's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then he he's like. He's for Sting. And then, no, get this. I was going to say Sting. Would and be then he says, choice. every planet in this, in this movie series because he, you know, Hollywood wants to make one movie. He's like, this will be a series. He says, every planet will have its own band that will create the soundtrack for the band. The, the band for Planet Arrakis is going to be Pink Floyd. He goes to Pink Floyd and they say, yeah, we'll do it. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he goes to Orson Welles to play Baron Harkonnen, who is the big floating guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, will you be in my movie? He saw him at a cafe. Will you be in my movie? And he's like, no, I don't do that anymore. He says, we're going to film it here in France and you can eat at this restaurant every day if you're in my movie. And it is like a very nice restaurant. And Orson Welles is like, yeah, I'll do it. And so he's spending money like crazy just to burning recruit. through cash and burning through cash. And that's the problem. The budget at that time was about nine million. By the time they started over two million had already disappeared because he's been spending it on recruiting talent. And this is who else he recruited. Sorry, I'm spending a lot of time on this, but it influences movies going forward. H.R. Geiger, who had not yet done Alien. He says, I thought he invented the counter. Yeah, uh, it would be a very terrifying counter. Uh, And so he gets him to do art as well and storyboarding. This whole thing is crazy. And so then he goes to Hollywood. Every single studio, he brings one of these giant phone books of the storyboards and says, here, this is the movie you're going to make. And they said, okay, we'll make it. It's going to be a 90 minute movie. Can you make it in 90 minutes? And this guy, because he was so passionate, and we've seen this in directors, right? Even in recent history. Right. If you make me cut down my movie 
I will not make it for you. This is probably, and he, he says this and he, he didn't mean it, but he said, this is, I have enough material here for a 14 hour movie and I will cut it down, but it won't be a 90 minute or a two hour movie. It has to be more. And the studio said, no, we can't give you money for this. Right. Like, yeah, you've got a producer, but they were having a falling out because he spent so much money. And so forever, every studio has a copy of his book. And then he had to walk away from the project entirely. So then what happened is film history was kind of changed because then Dan O'Bannon, who was creating the, the pr- practical effects, created Alien okay, with H.R. Geiger. And so a lot of these uh, elements of Dune became Alien. Hmm. Terminator was created based on the storyboards of Dune. Star Wars was many of the scenes, especially lightsaber scenes, were created based on the storyboards of Dune. Wow. This book, and, and he's shown it to directors because this is the director's director. He's shown this to other directors and they read this. They're like, this is the best movie never made. Like, this is it. And Did he go on to make anything? He stopped making, he made a movie soon after, but he didn't care about it. And then he stopped making movies for about 25 years. He made a, a movie six years ago that, produ- that was uh, screened at a film festival. He just lost it. He lost the drive to make mm. movies because Hollywood kind of crushed him. Well... But, he crushed himself. Yeah, I was yes. going to say, yeah. He kind of hoisted that up himself, then Hollywood snipped it. Yeah, but like even in like in Indiana Jones, Matrix, so many of the storyboard elements have been used in other movies. So the influence is there. This is like the great never before seen movie. Mm-hmm. So even though we're getting a Dune, there is something, and maybe this is more of a John Carter thing. Remember how John Carter was like released 40 years too late because it's right. the story that inspired Star Wars as well. Yeah. I think that's maybe this kind of situation. Yeah. I think this guy is so passionate about Dune that I would love to see a 2001 style classic that maybe is a little too above people's heads, but is better than Dune because when he saw the 1985 Dune. Dune yeah. yeah. When 85. he saw Dune, he didn't want to see it, but it sounds like you have to see it. Dad, you have to see it. And he's like, he's crying as he's going to the theater. Because he mm-hmm. talks about the documentary. He's like, I can't. This is my baby. I'm glad a Lynch made it. Maybe he's just as passionate as I am. I can't watch it. And they said, you have to. And then he said he started watching the movie. He said, five minutes in, I started laughing. And I said, well, he screwed it up. At mm-hmm. least it's not good. <laughs> like, oh, no one man. can make a good Dune movie except for me. We've yet to see that. I mean, it, it could happen. It could happen. We'll see. Yeah. But I, once again, based on what he says about the story, and I haven't read the book, I think it's too big for one movie, which I, I actually get pretty worried about the movie coming out at the end of this year. What about uh, like a TV series at the time? So what? Like a mini. There actually has been a mini series on sci-fi, obviously low budget. In fact, a lot of the stuff he created for the story, because he actually created a new ending too, hmm. have been used in comic books and the TV series. Hmm. And so it could be used. In fact, maybe if this is successful, maybe an HBO Max series could extend the story. Sure. Because I don't think Dune will be successful when it comes out. I don't think so either. It'll be a great Halloween costume, but other than that, no. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. I, I mean, Blade Runner wasn't particularly successful. It feels like it'll be it so good, but it's a darling, right? Yeah, it's it's all it's great, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I think it will do less well than that in the most ideal of circumstances. Yeah. And you know, who knows what's going to be like? You're at the talking time. about Blade Runner 2049, right? Yeah, I think Dune will yeah. do worse than uh, we're talking about Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, it'll do worse than 2049 did, and you know, it's just so niche. But I think. It seems like something that, again, even a, even a limited TV series back in the day, mm-hmm. um, you know, it might have been perfect for. Right. Okay. Just so because I think you this could work as a, as a TV series. Yeah. But once again, I don't think this guy would be attached because he he wants too much. He wants the world and he wants the world to change. I don't want the world. I just want your half. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think, yeah. though, yeah. that that sometimes you just need to do that. 
you know, these passion projects, mm-hmm. sometimes they need to come to fruition. Yeah. So I, I green light that. Oh, really? Okay. With that budget? Yep. Where are you getting this money? Deep no, it would be, it'd be a huge budget at this point. Oh, we're talking 700 million. Easy. Let's wow. Do Don't you think for a movie that long? Yeah. yeah. What well, if you can sp- movies if you yeah. split it up, though? That's yeah. not too bad. That's true. Okay. Joel, for your final. The year was the late 80s and early 90s. That was the that's year? The year. Yeah, that's the year. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Uh, you get Marvel Comics, who is not the critical darling they are now. Uh, no, not at all. they had produced Howard the Duck, which bombed. <laughs> the Punisher in 1989, which bombed. Captain America? Captain America in yeah. 1990, Ooh. which bombed. That motorcycle was cool. Meanwhile, DC was riding high on mm-hmm. Batman and Batman Returns. In the early 90s, they were just... Marvel was trying to do something. Other than go bankrupt. Other than go bankrupt. And so they did the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. In 1994, not the 2005 one that you're thinking. No, they didn't. They didn't. That movie never came out. Kind of. Hmm. So here's the deal: is that they wanted to make this movie, and, and this guy, uh, Bernd Eichinger, who's a producer. Okay. He met with Stanley. Uh, you may have heard of Stanley, and he said, "I would like to buy the rights to Fantastic Four." And Stanley said, "Okay, they'll be available in a couple of years. You can buy them." So he bought the rights that for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then sat on the rights. He couldn't get it to work. He had an option to, to make a movie. Is, but as far as I know, when you buy rights, is it seven years? I believe this one was 10 years. Is it 10 years? It was okay. a 10 year one. If you don't make it within 10 years, you lose the rights, what Something you paid like for. I, I don't know exact timing, but it basically it was like, if you don't make it this time, you lose it. Yes. And it was set to expire on December 31st, 1992. He asked for, and the, the producer's like, I haven't made it yet. Can I get an extension? He didn't get any word back. So he said, fine, let's just make a movie. So he got Roger Corman. If you don't know who Roger Corman is, Not every movie you've ever seen, Roger Corman has made a cheap knockoff of it. Yeah. That's the type of movies he makes. So they made a Fantastic Four movie on a budget of $1 million. That seems like a lot. Seems like a lot until you realize that Dumb and Dumber, which came out the same year, cost 17 million dollars oh or and you wouldn't think it would have a big budget let's drop it you know they they travel around there's some maybe some special effects in dumb and dumb let's drop it down four weddings and a funeral came out the same year 4.4 million dollars which is literally basically filmed in a church yes with a bunch of (laughs) british people talking in a church (laughs) and that cost so imagine that those no special effects movies so if anyone has seen images just images not even clips right of fantastic four it honestly seems like it came out 1986 it's Based on the visual quality. Really, really, really low budget. Yeah. And so low budget, in fact. And the origin, I was going to say, the story is very basic. It's the origin story of the Fantastic Four, how they get their powers, they mm-hmm. fight against Doctor Doom, huzzah. That's, that's, it's a very basic. But just to give an idea of how low budget this was, the music composers paid $6,000 out of their own pocket to finance an orchestra for the soundtrack. Oh, wow. Which is not good. Okay. <laughs> Synthesizers? Yes. Okay. The cast members hired their own publicist at their own expense to help promote the film because they didn't have enough money to promote the film. Oh. So it had one screening, I think. It did have a screening. So the movie was finished. The movie was finished and was screened, I believe, so one the, time in May of 94. this guy could keep the rights for another several years. Yes. Okay. And, well, and that's the thing. Some people say... That the, that uh, they did it only to retain film rights. It mm-hmm. made this. It was never intended to be released. In fact, Stanley confirmed that in 2005. He said this was indeed the case, saying 
the movie was never supposed to be shown to anybody and said the cast and crew had no idea. But Roger Corman, the huh. director, and Eichinger, the, the, the producer, dismissed that, saying, what happened was we made this movie, and then Marvel said, this is no good. This low-budget adaptation is going to kill our reputation, kill the movie. So as the actors are out promoting this movie, they suddenly received a cease and desist order from Whoa. the studio saying, do not promote this movie anymore. It is done. And they confiscated all the negatives. Oh, no. This but, is like E.T. the video game. But. Buried him in the desert. There are bootleg copies out there. And yeah. uh, listener, guys, I watched this movie today. Whoa. <laughs> this is one of the few movies that you can go out and just watch. It was on YouTube. Terrible quality. I mean, video and the movie. Sure. But are <laughs> oh we talking a full movie like opening credits, full closing movie. crawl? Yeah. You're, you're getting like from the logo of the production company to the end of credits. You can get the movie. It's on Daily Motion too, I think, too. Okay. But you can go out there and watch it if you want. It's a very simple story. And there are parts that actually are okay. If you're if you're coming at this from a kid perspective. Right. Saturday morning movie, maybe. Yes. Yeah. For, for me, who, you know, I used to love the old uh, Incredible Hulk live action movies yeah. where it's very low budget, but he like meets Daredevil and he meets Thor and it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. This is that type of movie, but there are amazingly bad, amazingly bad moments of both acting and special effects. In fact, I would say... The acting is really what kills this movie. There's a part where... Uh, so Ben Grimm, the guy who plays the thing, yeah. or eventually becomes the thing, he runs into this woman, and uh, blind woman, I should say, runs into a blind woman, yells at her, and then picks her up like, you're okay, you're safe. This is when he's a human, mind you. Uh -huh. And then the next time they see each other, she declares... She's being held by a bad guy at this time, and she declares, Ben, is that you? I love you! <laughs> <laughs> because she felt his face and then made a clay sculpture of him. I don't Even know. Even though he's got to meet to her. There's a scene at Is the end. me you're looking for? Spoiler alert for 1994's The Fantastic Four. Five, six, seven, eight. There's a scene where Dr. Doom, who, by the way, I think he's trying to do sign language because you can't understand him because he's doing these weird gestures every time Is he talks. Is his mask better or worse than 2015's Fanforstic? Well, it's basically like you'd picture a Halloween costume of Dr. Doom. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Better than. You can't hear him the whole time. It's like Bane. He's like talking mm. the whole time. But Dr. Doom shoots this. He has this giant beam, this laser thing. He turns it on and it starts shooting. It's going to go blow up a building. And Johnny Storm, flame on, flies to stop the beam. How does it look? How does the flying look? Oh, it's bad. I can't wait. Like it, I'm watching this, by the way. We gotta, you got to see it, Ken. Okay. You really got to see it. Because the whole thing is, I just want to bring that up. He doesn't try to destroy the gun where the beam is coming from. <laughs> he flies at the speed of light, apparently, to stop this laser beam from destroying this building. And he gets in front of it. And he's at this point, he's like this animated GIF character spinning around, getting hit by this beam. And it looks like a, a Windows 95 screensaver. He could it's destroy the gun, though. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. It is terrible. I can't wait. It is really one of those movies where I my jaw dropped multiple times because it was very bad in those parts. Other parts, it was fine. And I'm just like, this is so inconsistent. And still, there's you could tell, I think most of the budget went into the thing's costume. Because not that it's a great costume, but just it looks better than anything else in the movie. It kind okay. of looks like the like the Ninja Turtles. Kind of, the yeah. Like, Ninja it's Turtles it's like it, the mouth articulates, yeah. not great, but it's there. And it is so weird to watch. And so I watched this, and, and I actually found out about this because I remember in the, oh, 
fourth season of Arrested Development, which mm-hmm. I don't really like to speak about. <laughs> but they had this whole side story about this movie. And I was like, is that real? Because the whole point is that Tobias yeah, ends up finding, there, yeah. yeah, he finds the cast. He's trying to reunite them for a play. It really did make me laugh watching this movie for the first time and, and then realizing what uh, Arrested Development did. Yeah, yeah, the references yeah. that very few people would get. Yeah. So this is one of the most famous ones, too, because it's out there. You can see pictures of it, but it's really low budget. But like I said, this is one of the few we've talked it was about. never today. actually released. You can go see. Never actually released in theaters. They stopped it, shelved it, but then some people found it and put it online. So it's weird. It keeps getting popping up out there. So hopefully you can find it if you want to see it. And it is, I was going to say, if you want to watch it with your kids, they may enjoy it. If this isn't referenced somehow in Multiverse of Madness, it would be a mistake. It would be. Yeah. It would be. So, yeah, there you go. No green light from me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we're going to see the Fantastic Four in just a few years. But this is, it's the basic Fantastic Four story. We, we saw this in yeah. the 2005 version, just done better. Yeah, somehow. But yes. Yeah. As, as weird, as not as good as that movie was, it's still better than this. Okay. So I there just, you go. I just want a Fantastic Four with John Krasinski. John Krasinski. All, all I want. As who? It's never going to happen. Oh, Reed Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, it, it could be Johnny Storm. It's it's never going to happen. He's, he's too lanky. Yeah. It's it's never going to happen, but I want it. Just yeah. Be, it's because I want it. It won't happen. It's well, like Bacon Sale. Fantastic Four is one of those weird movies where we don't really have a good one, but we have okay one. I, I, when did the 2004? Yeah. 2005? Yeah. One. I mean, I was 15 when it came out. So I was like, it's fine. No, whatever Fantastic Four movie comes out will be good because of the low bar that's there. Yeah, that's true. And it shouldn't, be that, it shouldn't be that hard to make Marvel's first family into a fun experience. Oh, they already did. It's an, And they Incredibles. did it in 2004. Exactly. You know? That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, guys. That is our list of wow. 10 I, movies let, now look, that were it's, never it's, released Here's the thing. We talk about not greenlighting or whatever. I wish all these movies existed because... Bad movies exist. Good movies exist. And it's, it would be nice to look back at Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> no, you know, worse movies than all of you these know, Just exist. to be like, rem- why did they do that? What were they thinking? What substance yeah. were they on? Like, but I worry. I worry that, uh, you know, five years down the road, people go back and listen to the episode and they're like, oh, yeah, that one was made. Yeah. That one was made. Yeah. If At the Mountains of Madness is made, I'll be happy. Yeah. For sure. That's my one. I'll wish. be happy with the cheapest movie ever oh, made. Oh, me too. Made. Zach would. would. I would love it. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm still laughing. Yeah. Well, uh, let's do a quick review of your lists. Okay. So, Kent, just go through yours. The first one is George Miller's Justice League Mortal, Guillermo del Toro's Mucinex. Mucinex. At the Mountains of Madness, Ridley Scott's Gladiator 2, <laughs> The Beatles' Lord of the Rings, and Jodorowsky's Dune. And for you, Joel, I have Tim Burton's Superman Lives. I have Tim Burton's Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> I have Steven Spielberg's Night Skies or E.T. 2. I have the cheapest Muppet movie ever made with an exclamation point at the end. And I have the Fantastic Four. Wow. So there you go. Hard uh, to believe these don't exist. Yeah. It's, I was going to say, let us know if you think any of these should exist or if you would watch any of these movies because, you know, some of them may interest you. On Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter, we're out there. Come find us. Come talk to us. We enjoy hearing from you. But before we go, we'd like to give some love to our patrons, including the I Am The Listener tier, which includes Sweet Bottom Cakes, Jessica Drought, Sean Sanquist, Lady Terry Ann Finley of Wigdonshire, Jennifer Kilkowski, Braden Winterton, Babs, Alicia Bass, Adrian Gray, Adam and Rachel Crump, Plot Twist Media, and Glowclin Daniel. Also, we'd like to give some love to the Bacon Council, which includes The Shadow, Stephen Ross, Ryan and Marley Farron, our favorite couple, the Madsons, Mats, ah, uh, Chris Anderson, her Royal Highness Jessica Terry, Hat Trick Nick, Go Knights Go, and Reverse Listener. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. You complete us. 
But if you want to find me, you can find me at 76Joel on Twitter. You can find me performing with QuickWits. They're performing for free on Facebook. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the QuickWits Facebook page. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Kenny3DD. If you want to read my movie reviews, specifically a movie that actually finally was released. Woo! Just Didn't think it existed. Showtimeshowdown.com. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Tumbling Mustard. But more importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale on all the social media. Go ahead and like that Facebook page and then follow on Twitter and Instagram at Bacon Sale. While you're doing that, stop by tpublic.com slash bacon sale. Get yourself some merch. It's plenty of fun t-shirts and whatnot to get there. And then if you'd like to support the show further, stop by patreon.com slash bacon sale where you can start supporting the show financially if you'd like. At just $3 a month, you get access to all sorts of fun goodies, including bacon bits, which are basically just second shows, let's be honest. (laughs) They're very short. It's supposed to be 10 minutes. The last one was 45. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, patreon.com slash bacon sale. So until next time, I don't know, guys. You know what? I'm. I feel like we had a lot of creative differences on the show. I think we have a lot of creative differences. I, we're just going to scrap this episode. Let's pull the plug. I guess Bacon Cell episode 295 will never see the light of day. Everything you did was wrong, but you did it right. Definitely mention on Bacon Cell and or seen it. Not Justice League's Mortal Colon. That was a dad joke. Can I family friendly a dad <laughs> you joke? You love dad jokes. I know. <laughs> oh, my mortal colon. <laughs> Come Apparently, on, Batman. He has to have a weakness too, Kent. His <laughs> really? weakness is cybersecurity. Cy- no, <laughs> cybersecurity. His weakness exactly. is women. And he is psychic in the story because he was tortured as a kid. And so he wants That's to... That's how it works? Yep. A giant mechanical <laughs> spider. Pavlov... We have a Pavlovian... Pavlovian... Yeah, even to the point... Pavlovian... Pavlovian. Lexiac. <laughs> I feel like a schizo-scary <laughs> mega villain. I feel like that's a stomach problem. Mason X. Sometimes <laughs> you are having allergies and it's a Mason X. Back with the wind? Didn't Les Miserables do that? Mm. <laughs> Madiator. Maximus ain't glad no more. That's a tagline. If I'm writing it, just pay me. He's a scary alien. Pre-T was such an awkward time in my life. I want to wear that ring. <laughs> Eight rings were made. <laughs> Three more rings of power. <laughs> One to rule them all. I, help. I need a ring wraith. Help. Not just any ring wraith. Joel's already wanna described. leave the Shire with. <laughs> no. I love you. <laughs>